Hi, nonprofiteers. Welcome to Nonprofit Biz Talk with your host, Tracy V. Allen, nonprofit strategist. Nonprofit Biz Talk is about giving you the knowledge, skills, strategies, and concepts to manage, build, and grow a nonprofit organization that will positively impact the community you serve. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Biz Talk with me, Tracy V. Allen. Today I have as my guest, Ben Beasy. He is another nonprofit consultant, and today he's going to talk about um, communication that nonprofits have with potential donors and current donors, not talking to at them, but talking to them. <laughs> okay, Ben, go ahead and introduce yourself. Thanks, Tracy. So, um, yeah, my name is Ben. I run an organization called Rhino Corn Consulting. I work with nonprofits of all shapes and sizes uh, and stakeholders and leaders on helping develop new innovative ways to engage with the wider sector, but also ways internally that they're sort of architecturally designed. So um, things like building brand new volunteer departments for very large billion dollar organizations, as well as helping support the idea of development of campaigns and engagement processes for nonprofits to communicate with donors and volunteers, board members and stakeholders alike. Um, so I've been in the sector about 22 years and I've been on my own now for a little over two. Okay, great. That's a lot of experience. So we're gonna get some really good nuggets today from Ben. <laughs> I'm, I'm old, okay. I just look young. <laughs> uh, I say the same thing. Um, we're talking about engagement and when you brought up that topic, it really hit home for me because that's something that I observe all the time when I look at nonprofits and the way they communicate with potential donors, their current donors, just the way they communicate in general. And I do see a lot of flaws. I see some people, of course, doing it very, very well. And then there are others that I see and I go, wow, you could be doing so much more. So when you brought that topic up to me, I was like, yes, this is what we need to talk about, especially now that we're getting um, ready for end of year giving campaigns and giving Tuesday campaigns. So this is something that they need to really hone in on and get right in order to get the monies that they're looking for in this latter part of the year. Yeah, agreed. I, you know, it's interesting you bring up Giving Tuesday because I think in a lot of ways, Giving Tuesday could be a great opportunity to figure out how to engage more deeply with populations, but probably in a really weird way, whether we like it or not, is one of the worst ways to attempt to do this. Um, Giving Tuesday in so many ways is obvious, for those of you that don't know, um, is like a big day where um, uh, right around the, the sort of stretch of holidays, um, uh, Digital Monday, Giving Tuesday, Black Friday, that allow people to donate en masse to charities that matter to them. I think the problem with Giving Tuesday, just conversationally, um, Tracy, talking about it as a as a marker for engagement, is it's a transactional holiday, mm -hmm. and as such, it's really hard to have a really effective like transformational conversation, right? And so I don't think it's impossible, and I think there's some organizations that do a good job of connecting the two dots, 
but I will say it's probably if you've never uh, with what we're going to talk about today, if you've never really thought about how to be more engaging and more transformational in your approach with stakeholders, <laughs> Giving Tuesday is probably like the worst day because I know how Giving Tuesday really works. Giving Tuesday is where somebody says in the hierarchy, we need to try to raise 100,000, 10,000, 50,000, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're doing in one day. So you're doing a myriad of things that are very sort of snapshotty and there, and you're, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, but there's a lot that essentially is sort of trigger pulley on that day to accomplish that goal. Trying to create some really like authentic conversations on that day, if you haven't prepared already, probably not going to happen. And you should absolve yourself of any guilt about that now. Um, but thinking about future Giving Tuesdays in like 2019 and beyond um, and talking about engagement, happy to kind of talk about that. So let me just give like my one little micro elevator pitch about engagement. Um, I think often what the nonprofit sector is built on is the understanding that we're trying to solve a problem. Um, it kind of doesn't matter who we're reflecting on, like who the nonprofit is reflective of, whether it's the political environment, whether it's the animal environment, whether it's the, the social environment, we're all trying to solve a problem. And, mm -hmm. and in so much, um, what we do is often um, either very specific or kind of broad. Like we either like we feed the homeless or we do a myriad of projects to support homeless people in trying to achieve their life's goals, right? Which can look like 40 different things. When, because of that, I think it's really easy for us in the sector to just always be telling the story. And there's this huge push right now around storytelling. There's this huge push for like the last five years around the idea of creating storytelling. And what I like to say to make this all really easy for people is like there's two ways to tell a story. There's like the way where you just read the book in front of your kids and you're like, um, John said this, then John went to the store, then John went, to, right? And then we all know those people that know how to like draw us into the story. They create voices, tone, tenor. They, they'll stop on pages and say, what do you think John's going to do next? The book doesn't tell you to do that, right? The book doesn't tell you, or I would say most books don't tell you to ask the children or the people you're telling the story to, to ask those kinds of questions, or oh, what do we think John's going to do before we turn the page? And I think that's the part that we're lacking. I think we're all fairly good at storytelling. We're all mm -hmm. fairly good at saying, this is what I do. What we're not good at universally and what most nonprofits not good at is drawing people into the story and making people a part of the story and creating conversations. And so that's like my big that's sort of my fun little analogy, but that's kind of- I totally thing. agree with that yeah. because yeah. Um, coming from an educator's background at, as an English language arts teacher specifically, um, I always said there were kids who call words and there were kids who actually read. Yep. There's they're two different things. So there are children who can call the words off really quickly. Like they can run through a, a one page in like under two minutes, but ask them at the end of it what they read did they understand it and ask the class, did they understand what that person read? And they're looking at you like, you know, like crickets in the background kind of thing. And right. then you have the students who take their time and they have inflections in their voice and they're very rhythmic with what they say and they move with the story physically and emotionally. And those are the ones that capture the audience and create a level of understanding that 
the student may have after reading the story. So you're so right when you when it comes to that. There is telling a story and then there's really captivating an audience with the story that you tell. And so here's the thing too, right? Like I think taking it a step further. So there's probably people who are listening to this and they're saying, um, great, I know how to do that, but uh, how is that engagement? And I would say, ah, it's only the first step. Um, so once you know how to um, develop a world where it's clear that the, the, the listener is involved and that you know they're involved, right? So asking the question, what do you think John did next in the story is an, as an activation against understanding that like somebody's there in front of you and you're trying to draw them into it. From there, there's a whole series of things that, that people need to understand in terms of how they're trying to involve people in. And again, this is where I think there's like a whole we just have a problem. I mean, I, I know it, people like cringe at the idea of talking about problems in the nonprofit sector, but we have a problem. And the problem is that we, we get defensive when we're, when we realize that somebody says, you know what we should do, we should try to involve them in some form of the process, or we should involve them in the narrative, or we should. And so at, at most, we like to leave blank spaces, but the minute somebody is like, and so one of the ways I talk about this at a much higher level that I think people really connect with really quickly is um, nonprofits like love the word partnership. Like they're like yeah. soup. They have like this total love affair with the word partnership. And so they use the yes. word partnership for like all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, they're con and they're like, we wanna, we want, we're looking for partners for this and partners for that and partners for this. And I, and I talk a lot about, um, I like to mention like, you know, that word means something to the average populace that like, we know we have a watered down version of it when we use it. And we, in the moment we don't, in the moment we think we're being like really pure and we're being really honest about its use, but we'll say things like, we're looking for really strong corporate partners and we want a strong corporate partner. And then what really happens is, is like, we're really just gold diggers. We don't want a real relationship. So, so then like we get, they give us like $10,000. So Target gives us $10,000. And then the company's like, oh my God, thank you so much. We love this partnership. Thank you for the money. And they're like, absolutely. We're excited about the partnership too. And we're like, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And they're like, so when can we bring our employees and do some volunteerism? And where can we talk about co-brand? And when can we kind of um, collaborate around your next event? And we're like, oh, uh, whoa. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> um, again, <laughs> thank you so much for the money. Um, it is beautiful. All ones, we love it. Um, crisp bills but we we're not sure what you mean and so i you know i think this is where we fall down too right so like on the high level even when we think we're engaging we sort of use words like partnership and stakeholders and um uh we talk about we talk a good game about ambassadorship and all these phrases that we throw out and then when you Love really words. dig in oh totally because <laughs> when you dig into it with us the, the people on the receiving end um are like yes um and teach me how to do these things and teach me right. what to do or we'll say things like we're all fundraisers. And then everyone's like, yes. And then the minute they're like, cool, tell me how I'm supposed to ask money for you. We're like, oh, I mean, go do a GoFundMe. Or like, we're not, we're suffering from this idea where we have to like, actually stop what we're doing and mm -hmm. either stop using the wrong words or sort of invest in the idea of what it means to be a partner, what it means to offer somebody an opportunity to be an ambassador, what it means I to- I so actually... love this conversation. <laughs> And it's it's because hard it's so yep. true. And we either to unravel or learn new buzzwords, and yeah. that's exactly what they are. They're just buzzwords because they have no real meaning or understanding behind them. Nope. And like you, you, you um, gave the example of Target. And so when Target gives you, I tell people, especially when it comes to sponsorship, when a company like Target gives you money, 
they're expecting a return on their investment. You know, you know we're expecting something. You know what's funny about that? I, I think in a literal way, that's probably true. I think Target's mm -hmm. such a good example, right? Because I worked really intimately <laughs> with them when I worked for the Red Cross and I've worked intimately okay. with them in other settings. And uh -huh. I think Target's a good example, somebody that would that would like um, wince at that statement. They would be like, oh, we don't expect a return on our investment. We see ourselves as community partners and we see you as a reflection of a community <laughs> problem that you're okay. trying to solve. And all we want to do is like help in all the ways in which we can. Like we know our brand is big. It was interesting because when I worked for the Red Cross, it was a great example. One of the things that I really, that was so eye-opening about work. So I was the head of corporate engagement for the Red Cross. So I was the head right. of all national level corporate relationships in, in America and how they related to Target once they hit the quarter of a million dollars and above level. And what was so fascinating was I had, before the Red Cross, I had worked for so many organizations where you had to say the name two or three times before someone knew what you were talking about. They were like, what's city year? What's AmeriCorps? Um, you know, and so, um, I mean, now people kind of know AmeriCorps, but, but ultimately it was like, when I worked for Red Cross, it was the first time where I worked for an organization where no one, not Coke, not Pepsi, not Walmart, no one was bigger than that brand that was Red Cross, not one. Not at a global level. I mean, people recognize the Red Cross faster than Coke. I think so too. <laughs> right, and people recognize Coke fast. They recognize McDonald's yeah. fast. But mm -hmm. these organizations knew that in a weird way, we were one of the few organizations that the brand lift exceeded theirs. And so mm -hmm. their interest in working with us was layered, right? So Target was Right. Totally. So Target was an interesting one because Target's interest with most charitable organizations when they're focusing at the national level, they do a lot of localized grants and people know that. At the national level, they're investors. Um, and they, and by investor, I don't mean that that classic, like um, they wanna pour themselves into the stuff. They wanna pour their employees into it. They wanna pour their brand into it. They wanna pour their customers into it. They really, really, really wanna get involved in an investment level as well as financially. And so what they came to us, it was really interesting. It was the first time that we had really worked with them and I had to work really hard to get the Red Cross to be more amenable to the engagement piece because one of the first things Target said to us was um, we want to put a million dollars on the table but we want to do it in a way where we're both doing something we've never done before towards your greater mission. Okay. The interesting thing about that right for the Red Cross being 135 years old at the time was like yes there were things that the Red Cross was interested in doing from an innovative perspective the majority of what the Red Cross did was functionally reflective of need. And from that, they weren't doing a whole ton around innovation per se. Now, obviously they were looking at innovative things all the time, improving automobiles, improving technology and the like. But it was the first time we had a, um, an organization like that kind of just drop that on the table. Um, and what I found that they did there which was really interesting, which I think most nonprofits do. And I, and I, the reason why I'm bringing up this experience specifically is because I think it's important to realize like the billion dollar guys aren't any better at this than the small community guys. In fact, I would probably argue the small community guys are probably typically better than this anyway. The first thing the Red Cross decided to do was um, thoughtfully remind Target what we did and who we are. In this sort of, in this, in a very kind way, in this sort of like, oh, hey, don't forget, like, we give blankets to people in shelters and we build, we set up shelters and we, we help people donate blood and we, we educate people. And it was, and it was like, again, we went right back to, um, thank you for the cash. Um, this is what we do. This is who we are. Um, let me turn the page of the story. 
Don't get ahead of me. Um, we're not interested in asking you what we think John does next because spoiler alert, the page has been written. And I, I think one of the things that I, um, I'm, I'm developing this analogy as we're moving forward, Tracy, together. The thing that I think I would like to see more nonprofits do is realize that like in reality, um, the book hasn't been written. Um, the book is being written in real time. And so when somebody comes into our lives and we're inviting them in as a partner or inviting them in as a stakeholder or inviting them in to be ambassador, or they have those interests, we have to turn a new page and start writing in real time. So the question of what does John do next is a real question. It's not a leading question. Um, and I know that there's a lot of nonprofits that are gonna hear this and say, no, um, what we do is very specific. And part of me is going, yeah, here's the thing. If you are trying to get a dogs adopted out, if you are an animal charity and your, jo and your job essentially is to make sure that dogs are cared for and then they get adopted out, then Target's interest, <laughs> a, a corporation's, let's, start, let's leave Target alone, poor Target. A corporation's interest when it comes to you and when it comes to the form of engagement is, how can you help us do more of this or a better job with it or a better version of 100%. it? 100%, yeah. And those are the questions we don't ask. Instead, we have sort of told ourselves what $10,000 can do independently. Mm -hmm. And we've done the math on our own, fair enough. We're a business, we get that. But then we don't, when somebody comes crawling and says, well, no, 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 we want to involve volunteers, we want to involve this, we want to involve that. We kind of shy away from doing the mental math around that. We kind of shy away from having an open conversation about how the next page could be written. And I, I really think it's important for us to, to in, a, in a small way, be vulnerable enough to say, hey, let's just have a conversation. We're not going to maybe end with a, a variety of exactly what we're going to do by the end of this conversation, but like, Here's what we are trying to accomplish. Here's what we do. You know this. Here's what you're trying to accomplish. Where do these two things meet? You know, I've worked with lots of organization stakeholders where they have crazy ideas. And that's why we're sometimes afraid to entertain any idea because they have absolutely ape crap bananas ideas. Right. Way out the box. <laughs> right. Or they are like not even like there's there's not even a box to be seen. Right. We're like one of my yeah. favorite stories it's another it's another red cross story. one of my favorite stories is i got a call i won't say who i won't say who the partner was but i bring mm -hmm. but if you if you ever heard me speak before if anyone that's like oh i've heard ben speak before you've probably heard me say exactly who the partner was in the past i'm not going to do it today um <laughs> there was a national partner uh, a household name organization it was not target i'm not trying to preclude them from something that they did or didn't do it's a totally different organization and they called me randomly one day and said hey we want to do these. We want to do a puppy party. We want to do a puppy party in uh, uh, ten different cities, and I was like, "What? What?" And they're like, "Right." So we know you guys do like dog CPR and whatever, and maybe you want to do like other things, and like that's fine. But we want to like rent puppies. Like you can help us like rent puppies, and then like because like we just think our employees could use a puppy party, but then we'll also like use those puppies to learn CPR for animals. And so in short, like the the outside of just understanding that I said like. Oh, hell no. Ultimately, what I basically, and, and with, with a smile, right? Because my job was to say no with a smile at the Red Cross. I got to say no all the time, um, was to sort of say, well, you know, it's worth noting that we don't even do CPR on live humans. We use dummies, so we do the same with animals. Exactly. Uh, we don't actually use a real puppy and do compressions on their poor little puppy bodies uh, and breathe into their little snouts. Um, but it was an example of how when we're not prepared to figure out, to me, it was so indicative of like, you know, when you meet that person on a date and they're like, um, they seem really something needy, yeah. entitled, frustrated, anxious. You know that it's 
probably coming from a prior relationship where those needs weren't functionally met. Mm -hmm. So like in this case, it was a partner who knew that no one had anything prepared for them. So they just sort of shot from the hip. Cause like everything's on the table, if nothing's on the table. Right. And I think that's the problem that we've created for ourselves conversationally in the sector is we don't prepare for any depth of conversation. We don't prepare for a depth of engagement. So what happens is these companies, these donors, um, we think they're being entitled when in reality, this is the world we've presented them. We offer nothing, so they'll ask for anything. Gotcha. That makes so much sense. Yeah, that makes yeah. a ton of sense. It's hard. Yeah. And it so is. I think the trick is to figure out what can we offer? What are we willing to do? But more so, what kind of conversations are we willing to entertain? So like one of the things I always tell companies is like, think about your own emotional bandwidth around the kind of conversations we what is on or off the table mm -hmm. and know that nothing has to be decided that day, that it's in your best interest to say to a donor, a stakeholder, a partner, a company, whoever, um, yeah, I want to hear all your thoughts and feelings. We're not going to make any final decisions today. We need to go back and think about it on our part. We want to hear all of it, but even more so get better at predispositioning opportunities and predispositioning, inviting them into places. I, when I, the companies I often consult for and I work with, um, I help them with this tremendously. So I help them predisposition opportunities. Um, you know, one of the easiest examples to give is usually, you know, they'll, they'll partner with a company, uh, the company will give them money, then the company will say, we want to do volunteerism. And they'll say, you know, what is something 100 people can do? And mm -hmm. immediately the nonprofit is like, oh, my stars. You know, they're like, I had not, nothing. Um, and I usually like times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Going back to childhood. Times. Right. Pause. Um, what, are, what are any volunteer opportunities you have any time of the year ever that you can ever entertain 100 people's involvement? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, well, we have those, Ben. But it's just they're asking for something next Tuesday. I'm like, yep, gotcha. I understand what they're asking for. So just just, hold, just put them on pause for a second. Mm -hmm. How many opportunities do you have that you can afford for 100 people to be involved? Mm -hmm. We have these two or three. Okay. Then in the next, with this partner too, pull out, put it on the table. But in the next round of relationships that you're developing, put those on the table. Right. As part of the relationship that's designed. Because right. then they probably won't come and say hey can we do something on around tuesday or exactly they will be and clear. then you'll say right. no right they will right they'll be like mm -hmm. will. <laughs> and you'll be like oh this is why you'll see in the partnership agreement that we offer three days worth of 100 people volunteering and let us know which one excites you the most so no we can't just pull something together for you you know we're not the united right. way we don't just develop a thing for you out of the clear blue sky based on a hundred various relationships in the community um we're one single nonprofit, and um that's, that's a piece of this too, is like either be more comfortable with inviting conversations where you can understand what they really need and they can understand what you're really capable of and what your needs are, or predisposition things based on your real need. And then bonus, if you have, th if you have three opportunities for 100 volunteers that you're always trying to backfill, and now you have three partnerships that are going to retrofit into one of those, like winner, winner, what are you, exactly? why are you not connecting your own dots? Right. And that, but I think that's the problem. A lot of nonprofits, especially the smaller ones, they're not taking the time to plan effectively. So they end up in situations like that where they get a partner and they're like, okay, so what do I do now? You yeah. know, because they didn't, they didn't have a, a, uh, <clears throat> sorry, they didn't have a consultant like yourself or me or someone else to help them through the process. So basically I like to call it 
you know, when you're in elementary school and you do the um, spitballs, just yeah. throwing spitballs against the wall and hoping one would stick. And I think a lot of people work smaller nonprofits. We're talking about smaller nonprofits are working from that area. Oh, totally. They're just throwing things against the wall and like, oh, we hope that one sticks. We hope that one sticks. I worked with one person um, in a smaller nonprofit organization and I told her she needed to get community partners. That was all well and good. She went out. And, I mean, I explained to her what the process was, <laughs> but sometimes they listen to you or they hear you, but they're not listening to what you're saying. They're not truly absorbing what you're saying. So she went out and got these tons of nonprofit of um, partners. When I tell you tons, I was like, wait a minute, wait, hold up. In like two weeks, 15 new um, community partners. What are these community partners offering you? Like, what is you know, what, what is the transaction that's going on? Are you getting volunteers out of it? Are they going to help you with your soup kitchen? Are they going to give you monetary donation? What are you getting? Oh, they just said, yes, they'll partner with me, but partner with you to do what? Yep. <laughs> you yep. know, what, just to have your, their name on your, um, your website or for you to go around saying, oh, such and such is a community partner, such and such is a community partner. What does a community partner mean? to your organization and they just looked at me like a deer caught in the headlight and, like, and I, okay and you know what's funny too about that like i think like again i think i think a lot about how people receive information um just uh, just on this call just on this uh, um interaction between you and me and someone several people are gonna be listening to this and they're gonna say um yeah that's all well and good um, but like, what am I supposed to be doing otherwise? And, mm -hmm. and it's interesting because of course we have answers, but I would say at a more practical level, one of the things I like to bring up is like, I like to take a step backwards and say, here's what I'm, before I tell you what I think you should be doing differently, let me tell you what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing mm -hmm. is most leaders in the sector are very intimately enwrapped in program. We have a lot more like manager leaders than we have executive mm -hmm. leaders in the sector. So they're really comfortable with the management of program, management of process, management of these things. And, and as such, they're, they're prone to do kind of what I call like a bit of a hands up. Um, they just want someone to be like, yeah, I'll be a partner. Yeah, I'll be a partner. Um, and in so much, they don't always rely on the idea of like vision, direction, orchestration, and like the sort of in, in a systemic leadership way around the sort of organizational wherewithal if they think about it at a very programmatic level it's this very literal um i need ten dollars i ask for ten dollars i need four volunteers i ask for four volunteers right kind of a thing and uh, you said to get sponsors you said to get supporters i got supporters what are those supporters doing oh i don't know but you told me to get supporters and i got a bunch of people who said they'd be a supporter and you're like oh and so one of the things i usually recommend like once people realize where i say like am i right like you you would arguably be more comfortable taking on increasing programmatic roles than you'll be more comfortable taking on increasing classic executive leadership roles. And most nonprofit executives for the most part are like, yes. And I'm like, gotcha. Because we have a lot of leader founders and the yes. founders know, you know, it's like owning a restaurant and being the chef are two different things. A lot of people Completely. own restaurants because they know how to cook a good chicken. And you're like, yeah. cool. <laughs> and then they try to build a restaurant around that. And you realize like they still cook a good chicken, but like they can't keep the lights on. And mm -hmm. so it's the same thing, right? And so I tell them like, okay, this is where your board chair is like, if you were always sort of saying to yourself, and I think a lot of, a lot of nonprofit leaders do, what's my board chair supposed to do? And I'm like, ah, if you don't exemplify the ingredients for executive leadership, that's where it gets backfilled. Yeah. 
Like I'm you're... so happy to hear you say all of this because at one point in time, I swore to God that I was the only person having these conversations with, I don't with doubt potential it. clients. That's right. I'm I don't like... doubt it. And so I'm like, look, I'm, I'm just not... like, okay, yep, I don't... you are the founder of the organization. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the executive director That's of right. the organization. That's right. If you don't have the skill set, you don't have the time then you should not be the executive director. Step away. You can found a nonprofit organization without leading it. Oh my God, can, I, I, can we digress into a, a topic that's gonna make people turn this off, but I wanna do it between you and me? <laughs> okay. I feel like a total synergy between you and me. So I wanna say something <laughs> that I know you're gonna totally agree with. We're gonna like high five through the screen. Um, okay, you know, why, you know why this happens by the way, in my estimation, from my perspective? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so you know how water's wet? Yeah, like water's wet, right? And we're and so like and so when when somebody's just like so someone's like so why do you like water and and somebody goes because it's wet and you're like mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> well why are we bringing that up? Of course, water. Right. Wet. Um. Okay, it's the same with passion. Mm -hmm. So all these leaders go well it's because I'm passionate. Right. And I always go, okay. Here's the thing. If you're putting passion as the first thing on the table. That really worries me. Exactly. Because I, exactly. the first quality, if I am defining water, of course, mm -hmm. wetness may be the first thing that gets put on the table. Mm -hmm. But if I am talking about the value of water, it should, it's probably not something that's going to make the list. And if I'm talking about something in a very transaction, transformational way, it's the same with the, the non first thing that's going to make the list is that. Um, yep. It quenches my thirst. That's right. It keeps it, me clean. It's the same. <laughs> right. And so I find all these, what happens when we, when you, when people like you and I push back on this and we sort of say things, hey, look, being the founder doesn't mean you have to be the executive leader or if it, or if for you that it does, there's a lot more education. Like what yeah, you brought to, to the space needs to be married against th things that the space needs to bring to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you already walked in with all this wherewithal about programmatics, like, Cool, because there's lots of people that don't have that skill set. So like now it's the business side that you have to be backfilled against and the, mm -hmm. and the executive leadership side, you know, there's still a lot for you to sort of learn. Just having this ability to do this thing doesn't change, doesn't make the whole thing com complete. Mm -hmm. And I find that people always say things like, well, I'm passionate. And then, and then again, they'll find board chairs that are like the first and foremost thing is that they're passionate. And I'm always like, look, if there are people within your organization that don't exemplify some form of passion on some, mm -hmm. either for their job or for the organization or for the role within the sector, mm -hmm. then like, yeah, you have a bit of a problem um but having said that if that's like the determining factor to what you view as success then this is why seven out of ten nonprofits fail every year thank you so much oh because my like goodness. i i'm not i don't care about your passion what i care about is your right. acumen i care about your hey nonprofiteers if you're looking for one place where you can get all of the knowledge, skills, concepts, and strategies you need to take your nonprofit organization to the next level from an expert, then you need to head on over to TVA Consulting, where I have a plethora of courses and eBooks that you can choose from. The link is in the description. Ability to like entertain the executive side of your work. I, about your ability to manage a team that often probably needs to be managing teams. Um, I care about all these, I care about your interest in, in the, the, one of the things that I think too, like 
uh, now I'm digressing within a digression, but I'm going to go there anyway, Tracy. So like, I think what, what going back to the idea of it, of engagement, I think one of the reasons why we struggle, I, anyone struggles in this space, but I definitely think nonprofits um, space struggles. There's a lot of um, very specific studies within the nonprofit sector that I don't think philosophically a lot of our leaders are invested in. So like, again, using food as an analogy. So if you're a chef and you're not, there's a lot of really specific things within food service philosophically that are important, like safety, um, texture, um, quality, um, right? And if you're the kind of chef that those things don't matter to you, then you're probably not a great chef. So I think about the sector and its segments. I think about the idea of fiscal responsibility, volunteerism, um, management leadership, um, the idea of um, communications and outreach. If like as a leader, if you are either invested in those things philosophically and you don't have a value for them or you're not interested in finding the people that do, then that's really probably the bigger problem that you have too. So like you're not, yeah. you're not able to have an engagement connection with these things mm -hmm. because you actually don't care mm -hmm. or you've never been told you're supposed to. So like if you're an executive leader and you kind of think volunteers are a four letter word and then you don't hire a good volunteer. That's leader. how they think about fundraiser. That's, that's why right. Same I, thing. You see my pick, Facebook pick page. Your, I'm like, pick your industry, bomb. right? I have re relegated fundraising to the F bomb. That's right. Pick your, as soon as you talk yep. about fundraising, it's like dead silence in the room. Like people are looking around like, did she just curse my mama? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. And so I think if, if like you can't either appreciate it philosophically or appreciate it tangibly, Right. then and you're not going to hire the people that can and um right your ability to engage them with populations that care about those things or the actual people themselves the donors the volunteers the board members that's the other problem that we're sort of dealing with so i think in a, you know one of the things i'm realizing as we're talking is like what we're basically saying is like the whole thing's a dumpster fire but i and it's not it's not but like i i <laughs> burn it all down but I think I know. I think there's but one of the things that you just said was hiring. And I find so often with small and nonprofit organizations too, is that when you talk about having to hire staff, they're looking at you like you're crazy. So doesn't everybody volunteer? I'm like, oh. volunteerism is not the be it all for a nonprofit organization. You have to have paid staff. You do. And no, that staff cannot be a 1099 employee when you're asking that person to come in from eight to five, Monday through Friday. Yeah. The 501 me. I call them 501c me's. They're just like the one person nonprofits. <laughs> yes. Um, the 501 me's are trouble. But I also think like, you're right. The, the thing that's really funny is, um, you know, staff's really important for a lot of really clear reasons. But then the other mm -hmm. problem is that people that don't believe that also don't understand the ratio of volunteer to paid entity, right? So you can use whatever human capital you want, as long as you understand mm -hmm. the ratios. So on average, like a full-time volunteer is going to give you four hours a week. Exactly. That's a full, so then if you have a 40 hour week gig that you believe a hive mind can manage, you need at mm -hmm. minimum 10. 10 volunteers just doing that thing right and when people realize that they're like wow and i'm like N -n -n do the math i mean and, and that's why i also say yeah. all the time too is that volunteerism isn't free so no. i wish they would get that that out of their mindsets as well 
volunteers are not free. They're not free. I said, you may not be paying them a salary to come and do some work for your organization, but to have a really good volunteer program, you need to have a volunteer manager, someone to oversee that whole pool of people that are coming into your organization because they are, in essence, an extension of your organization. So if they do something wrong, you're liable. So who's training them? Who's onboarding them? If something happens to them at your facility, do you have workman's compensation for them so yep. that they can continue to get a salary? So it's not free. And that's something I wish they would get out of their minds that, oh, volunteers are free. They're just going to come in and do the work for me. No, it doesn't work that way. And I think you know? this, this goes back to the original notion of this conversation between you and me is this, I, this mm -hmm. understanding that. So then when you're engaging, when you are in the nonprofit space, and we're talking about engagement, we're talking about communications, we're talking about trying to create layers and depth. Um, if you don't understand a variety of things about, say, volunteers, donors, pick your demographic, then your ability to engage with them is really limited. And so I think one of the things that's really evident to me, again, anyone listening to this that's going like, oh, my God, like, okay, we get it. We're broken. We're bad. We're not as good as we could be. We're, we're doing a whole lot of things wrong. Like, what, do you, what are you getting at? And I think one of the things I like to sort of bring up is like, hey, look, I think... The reality is, is that there's a lot of things in the sector that we've got to improve and they're not simple. Um, they're not, uh, they're, not every answer is a turnkey answer. Not every answer is a simple best practice. That there are some fundamentals that as a sector that we um, are really collectively struggling with. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think the volunteerism thing is a really great place to sit on for a second because one of the things that I that I believe is that one of the things that is really interesting about the nonprofit sector itself is that as a sector, it's one of the more, um, it's a single sector, but it's really only truly united at the 501c blank, three, six, four, whatever, five. Um, and beyond that, all we really are is a reflection, is a, is a reflection of another sector's failings. So the governmental sector, the educational sector, the food, the, the restaurant food service sector, the, yes. the, the, the medical sector, those sectors are actually truly connected and united in a very literal way. They have a native tongue. They have a, a true epicenter of existence. Things like RN versus LPN, things like mm -hmm. congressman mm -hmm. versus senator, those are very clear. If you look at the nonprofit sector, because we're not technically connected at the root, um, we're connected sort of up here and not down here. Right. We don't have a native tongue. Yep. We don't have a native tongue. We don't. So like the word volunteer is a great example where we don't all see the word volunteer as the same thing. Not really. Like we think we do. And we also weirdly in this really weird way, we believe that like we're the only ones that own the volunteer entity. When in reality, the whole other duties as assigned to any job you've ever had is essentially volunteerism. Um, the, the, the idea of, of doing something that's sort of functionally unpaid is ubiquitous to any single industry in a very literal way. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. There's lots of things that people do that they're kind of not getting paid for, even if they're salary. Right. And so I, we believe that like we own the capital of volunteerism. And then sadly, we don't even own the definition in a very literal way. We don't really kind of all agree to a universal definition of volunteerism. We don't even as an industry understand that they're not free as like just, a, just as understanding. Exactly. And, and so, that's one of the reasons I decided to have, you know, do these series of podcasts where I invite yep. other consultants to come in because I want 
you know, smaller nonprofits to understand that we're all speaking the same language. It's yep. not just me saying this or Ben saying this or, you know, one of the other consultants saying, this is how we feel collectively. This is what we see as a problem. And like you said, that's why seven out of 10 nonprofit organizations fail because we're not, they're not getting on the same page. They're yeah. not speaking the same language. They're not putting the best practices forward. And like well, we said, best practices don't go over for every nonprofit. Some things you have to tweak a little based on where that nonprofit organization is, you know, what their demographic is and that type of stuff. But still, the underlying factors are still there. These are the things that you need to do in order to be successful. And they're so, not built to, right? I mean, I think the thing that's really right. fair to sort of say is like the industry is not currently built to support that that system of achievement. And so one right. thing that I, I would absolve anybody who's sitting there kind of sweating a little bit and thinking like, man, we really are a dumpster fire is I would say, no, 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 no. Here's the thing. We've got some fires to put out, um, but we also have some fire control that we need to embody. We need to develop the systems that allow us to kind of um, stoke the fire or put out the fire or build a fire. And right now that we really don't do that, it really is a bit of a wild, wild west approach in the nonprofit sector for the most part. And the only time we feel like we're being policed is when we've done something wrong. Um, There isn't a whole lot in place to allow us to feel um, proactively policed into doing something right. And Mm -hmm. um, there are resources, there are tools, like it's, but they're, they're not universally recognized. They're not, um, it's a bit of a free-for-all in the space. So there's people like you and I that are kind of like, we've learned how to kind of like hitch up the horse and the wagon and kind of go out and try to do our thing. Um, but I, I do think one of the first things reflective of what you and I are doing right now, reflective of some things I'll be promoting at the end of this podcast, um, <laughs> is um, I think we just need to be having some more thoughtful conversations about where we are and why we're here as a sector. Um, and And owning that space, right? Like I think, I think um, I've done a lot of study of alcoholism. Um, I happen to be in the city that where, where AA was um, started. And so it's always okay. been an interesting topic to me because I'm like here in Akron, Ohio, and this is where AA was formed. And I worked for an organization where it, um, where it was a, um, that like within the, within the confines of this large um, estate that was uh, a historic home and house museum um, called Stan Hewitt. They also, there's this little gate lodge and that space was the first time the people at Start AA had their first meetings to talk about just the idea of it, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always really like about AA, because I think it's really applicable, I think it's something that we can all connect with even if we don't have any relationship with that space, right. is the idea of acknowledgement and ownership. Is like, mm-hmm. you can, there may be a million reasons why you are an alcoholic and there may be a million contributing factors that led you to there. But there's a, but once you, identify that you are, then that's where officially everything has to start to change. You can't say I'm an alcoholic and keep drinking technically right. in their, in their, uh, in their philosophy. Um, I think it's the same for us. I think we need to get to a place where we can say things like we're not good at communicating effectively in a, in a, in a institutionalized way. We're not good at recognizing that we don't all believe the same things that really are not hard for all of us to believe, like volunteers aren't free. We're not good at understanding that we need more executive leaders to support managerial leaders as opposed to only having managerial leaders. And I wanna grow our collective abilities, empathy, and opportunities to have those conversations, to um, allow us to get comfortable with it. Because at some point, you're, I'm hoping that the sector kind of goes, okay, we've said it enough, now what? Right. 
And it's because we're not at the now what phase, by the way. We are not even kind of at the now what phase. No, we're not. We are still at the, no, 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 no. You don't understand this isn't what's happening phase. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's talk yeah. about something else. This is not yeah. what I came here to listen to phase. Mm -hmm. um, we're still at the total full-blown denial phase. Yes. Um, and I'd like to start to think that like people like us can actually start to do like the, so we're all here today because this is your intervention. Exactly. A 12-step program for nonprofits. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, we want you to admit that you could be stronger, better, smarter, faster versions exactly. of yourselves. And we want to mm -hmm. all collectively figure out how to get there. But first, we've just got to talk it out. We've just got to sort of admit, because I also find that people that are quick to go, I, I don't need to talk about it. I'm sold. Let's do it. Are the first to bail when it gets hard. Yes. Because they haven't yeah, talked it out. I agree. And they, they don't really believe it. They just don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then they realize like, well, to actually do some of these things takes a lot of work and takes a lot of thought. And I, you, what you're saying is, is so poignant is when they realize the amount of work that goes into success, they usually know. That is true. I find that so many times where you say, okay, let's do X, Y, and Z. And they're like, yes, of course, let's go get it. And then they start doing it and you're like, but you're not done. So they do one or two things and they feel like they conquered the world. And then you're like, that's only the first part. We still have 10 more steps to go to get to the actual end goal, to, to get to the outcome. And then they look at you like, but I just did so much work. What do you mean there's more to do? You know, I was like, when you, when I said this to you, for whatever reason, you heard in your mind, you heard one, two, you didn't hear step three, four, five, six, and so on. So in your mind, you're done with the process. So now that I'm telling you that you need to do step four, four through 10, you are, you're finished. Yep. You're like, yeah. it's too hard, you know? Yeah, and that's what I really want nonprofit leaders, especially founder leaders, to understand that to run a profitable, a sustainable, and a compliant nonprofit organization, it takes work. It's a, it's one of the hardest jobs that you will do. It takes a lot of work. You cannot be shy. You need to be able to network. You need to be able to ask the questions, the hard questions, have those hard discussions, tell those stories. You need to be trained, period. Okay, yep. you need training, yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you this need... is not something that you can just jump into and think that it's just going to all fall in place. You have to get support. The best um, saying that I love so much is that you have to spend money to make money. And for nonprofit leaders to think that they're going to come into the sector and that I am going to act as their consultant for free is ridiculous. Oh, and I God, see that right? all the time. Oh, constantly. Can you write? I just had um, the home tax biz lady on my podcast yesterday. She's coming out next week. And that's the one thing I talked to her about. I was like, you know, this question I get all the time. I say, I'm not the only one. I speak to a lot of nonprofit consultants and they all say the same thing where you get a, non, um, a leader, a nonprofit leader come and they ask you, can you say, let's use write, uh, grant writing as one. And you say, okay, well, it's gonna cost you $5,000 to write that federal grant. Well, can't you write that off on your taxes? <laughs> you know, and you're like, um, no ma'am, no ma'am, I cannot. <laughs> you yep. Or can you, um, can you wait until I get the grant 
and then I'll give you a portion of it. And if you don't get the grant, oh, then right. what happens? And you, you forward them the unethical <laughs> stuff from, you know, AFP. Exactly. Like, no. Yeah, you're like, hey, read yeah, this. So, yeah, those are I, like some of the uh, things that I think that we really need to have serious conversations. And I think the the more we unite as nonprofit consultants and show a united front as these are the problems that we're seeing and these are the ways that we think that we can solve these problems for you if you're willing to listen you're willing to be coachable you're willing to you know to make change and you seriously want to um effect change in your community these are the things that you're going to need to do because they're nonprofit leaders that i call nonprofit shoppers so they'll come to you then and they'll be like, Ben, oh my God, I have such a passion for this nonprofit and this is what I want to do, blah, blah, blah. And then you say, well, that's going to cost you $2,000. Oh, wow. Okay, let me get back to you. Then they'll come over. Oh, Tracy, give me the same story. Then they'll go to someone else and someone else and yep. they'll shop it around and hopefully they'll find that one person who really doesn't know what they're doing and say, oh, I can do that for you for $200. And they're like, yes. And then they go to the person, they get royally screwed over, you know, and then they come back to you with a sob story telling you how they got so screwed over. Well, you get what you pay for, you know, or don't yep. pay for, yep. <laughs> you know? So no, I, I, the thing yeah. too, I think like, you know, you and I both started our own businesses and, you know, um, I've started several nonprofits and the thing that I've um, relied on, <laughs> let's all phrase it out, the thing that I've relied on is um, it's hard, it's really hard. And and uh, no matter how many resources you have, it's hard unless you're a trust fund baby. And so like I tell people all the time, mm -hmm. like you'll get to a point, to your point earlier, you'll get to a point where you get to step two and then you're like, I'm done, right? And you're like, no, you have like 14 more steps. And it used to tell my staff this, I tell myself this. If it's step two, if it's step eight, if it's step 40, whatever, you, wherever you are, the middle of step three, doesn't matter. You were like, this is really hard, get up, Go cry, go scream, go eat, go drink, go do whatever. Be mad, be sad, be frustrated, and then come right back. And exactly. Go on like be I, even with us, as yep. like I said, entrepreneurs ourselves, we have tough days in our business. Oh there my God! Every day. Well. How am I going to pay the mortgage this month? That's right. <laughs> you, you know. Every day. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, yeah. For, I don't know about you, but for me, at one point in time, I, ha I had to get a coach because there were just certain aspects that I wasn't comfortable with, like pricing, you know, and I needed someone to guide me along that same path. So that's what I'm telling nonprofit leaders is that you just don't know what you don't know, you, yeah. you know, or if you're not comfortable with a certain concept in your business, then you need someone to guide you through that concept. And this is where, again, like, kind of coming full circle where I think engagement and communications work in that direction too. Like you have mm -hmm. to be able to be engaging enough with, with your vulnerability and you need to be able to communicate that vulnerability. You need to be able to sort of say, look, I'm not the best at this. And, and, and admitting that you're not great at something um, should be a cry for help should not be what you think is like a badge of discourage, right? Like it, it should be like an appropriate, like it should feel like a commanding moment to say, I'm not good at finance. I need to get better at finance. And yeah, is there gonna be one or two people in your lives? Cause welcome to the new world order where someone's like, oh, who cares? You know what I mean? Better that like you admit it and ask for support than not admit mm -hmm. it and somebody, and then you have a lot more people going like, oh, later, right? So exactly. I think we need to get comfortable with, with communicating our vulnerabilities. I, I even think too, like it goes back to the point of communicating with audiences 
um, corporate donor volunteer where you're not comfortable and to sort of say, you have to be honest, I don't have a strong acumen when it comes to um, working with corporations. So as a corporation that's probably worked with a lot of nonprofits, um, what are you hoping we can talk about today? What are you hoping um, these conversations sort of are gonna look like and require? Because I think the other thing that we do a lot too is we just get, we're afraid to just say like we don't know, but we'll find out. And we think we, exactly. we actually told you that last part off entirely. Even if we're willing to say we don't know, usually we find those people that are willing to say they don't know and they kind of just drop and walk away. Exactly. And you're like, you should always be willing to say, I don't know, but let me go research that right. and right. I will get back to you. <laughs> it's funny because I learned that really early in my life. Um, and I, I'm a quick study. I'm a, I'm a lover of study. Me too. I, and Me so too. I'm one of those people, you're probably similar where somebody say like, Oh, you think you know everything. I'm like, no, but oh my God. You... Yes, I get that all the time, yeah, but I know I'm like, a lot. No, I'm not a know-it-all. I just don't ever want to be caught up there, not knowing the basics of something. So I well, read a lot. Like today's national book lovers day. And oh I'm God. like, Hey bookies, <laughs> you know, cause and last year, I think I read like 150 books and people oh are like, God. what? Crazy. Yeah, I read. I don't read very many books, but I read a lot of articles. I'm a quick reader too. Mm -hmm. But I, but what I yeah. tell people all the time is like, look, here's the thing, I, I only know as much as I do because I started knowing nothing. Exactly. So I'm fascinated. And I, like, I don't know. Long. And I'll read. Yeah. Like I, I love that we live in a world where somebody will ask a question like, um, does anyone know anything about mincemeat pie? <laughs> it's so random, and um. People will be like, they won't say no, which mm -hmm. is the answer to the question. They'll say, I've never heard of that. What is that? And I'm like, Google it. Exactly. Why exactly. are you spending time asking a question when just Google, you know? And mm -hmm. I think that's a piece of this too, where people are there when they are willing to be vulnerable to say they don't know, they just want to sort of, they, they're not strong enough then to admit that they've got to go figure it out. They, they actually think that the controlling factor is the fact they don't know. And it's like, I don't mm -hmm. know, therefore none of us should care. When in reality, right. it's like, no, it's on the table for a reason. No, this is this is great. I I am um, I'm glad that we've had a chance because I know we've interacted a lot otherwise, and I love I really appreciate you inviting me. Um, mm -hmm. This is awesome because um, I yeah. I think more of us need to be talking about this outside mm -hmm. of the consulting space, and more of us need to get comfortable figuring out how to talk about this effectively, and and also like you know, like I said, like, I think it's really important that we talk about the building blocks. So again, like if you're listening and you're going, look, I don't have some of those qualities you talked about, um, you know, open up dialogues with groups that might be able to help you with that, whether it's yeah. a consultant or a board member or, mm -hmm. you know, your staff. If you are like, I don't really feel like I have a strong relationship with the volunteer sector, talk to your volunteer director. If you don't feel like you have a strong relationship with executive leadership, you know, look to your board to see where you can gain and grow those skills well, that as well. Too. I would definitely you know? love you to come back and talk yeah. about the board because, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Happy to. You my just friend. need to come back, and we need to have a whole conversation totally. about the nonprofit totally, totally, board totally. because I can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah totally. So happy to. Um. So, what are your three takeaways? Three things that you want to leave in the minds of the people that are listening today about what we talked about? Yes. Yeah, I think one. Um, we have to get more comfortable talking about the things that plague us and, and realizing that it's, it's, that it's the things that right now that unite us that we can um, solve for, but that like, you're not alone. So if you're feeling like you don't know enough about something, if you're feeling like we're struggling with things, if you're feeling like it's hard to find connections, um, you're not alone. And that's what we should be talking about then, right? One. Two, um, I think 
we've all got to become better stewards of our own education. So we all, once we know that we don't know something, we've got to become more comfortable figuring out how to learn. We're in this beautiful golden age of information. Um, I know there's always concerns about, you know, fake news and blah, blah, blah. But like the, the truth of the matter is like, um, that's more of a, a social construct than a truth. And so like, if you're getting your news from memes, you probably have a lot of problems, but like, you know, there's, you know, looking at Google Scholar um, and looking at things like that and, and, and looking at proper resources, but just like understanding definitions and looking up terms to words and 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 reading great articles right like we need to become better stewards of our own education mm -hmm. and we need to become more comfortable seeking out those resources and then i think the third thing too different than the first thing but it's like it's it's similar is that we have to we have to broker conversations with each other like we have to invite the space to talk about these things and to and to call on peers and cronies and contemporaries and say can we get together and just talk about um, how we're all approaching volunteers? And can we just get together and talk about the, the resources we might all need concerning um, executive leadership skills? Can we all get together, you know, and talk about what we need in terms of trying to make our boards better boards, whatever it is. And, and not just like recognizing that needs to happen, but like being the ones to broker the conversation and again, creating more environments for both the safety and security of that. And also just like to, I, like you're gonna have one person in the room who's just like this is dumb and they're gonna walk out and like okay they're not ready but you're gonna probably have way more people who are like oh my god i'm so glad we're doing this mm -hmm. i'm so glad you brought this up somebody had to be the advantageous one i'm glad it was you <laughs> right yeah those are the three things i just i think we've got to get better at all those three and i know they're like easier said than done right. um but still but nothing good take um, happens overnight. It takes time. It's a process. No, I wish everything was a microwave meal. Look, we all know how to use the microwave. Everything we eat out of a microwave is either too delicious to be true, like a hot pocket, or not delicious at all, like a hot pocket. Right. That's so true. <laughs> Depends on the hot I mean, pocket. that is really true. Right. <laughs> like we're all okay. like, oh, cake in a mug, but it's not that good. It's not good cake. And there's no frosting. <laughs> Okay, so then tell them where they can find you and if you have something, a product, a service that can help them to yeah. get to the next level. Because we're talking about, this is level up season. That's so. right. <laughs> I, so I, I'm easily found. If you Google Ben Bisbee, you'll find me really fast. Um, I, I, I like any form of interaction involvement. I'm not going to solicit you or bug you. I'm not that kind of guy. So if you want to find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, I will be happy and I will engage with you and I'll be excited to do so. Um, I, the two things I want to kind of plug essentially, one is something that a lot of people know me for already, which will be cross promoted on this platform. I run a, a, a nonprofit page called the 31st century nonprofit network. It's my version of the anti Facebook nonprofit page by that. I mean, most nonprofit Facebook pages, they do not want you to solicit. They do not want you to talk about what you're up to. They only want you to go and ask for things and And essentially they're cool with you complaining about stuff. Mm -hmm. I've created what I call um, a, a, a pro network, pro um, a solicitation space where people can go and ask for help with surveys and, and talk about the cool thing they just wrote or read. And I share a lot of content that I read or write and people get very excited. And it's a place where you should feel comfortable. You should never have to ask me if you can promote a fundraiser you're doing or feedback on something or a promotional piece. Like, yes, please. It's awesome. I love it. That's the whole point of the page. So please come to 31st Century Nonprofit Network. It's this, it's this playful idea of like where I hope we'll be in the 31st century, a thousand years from now, this will just be the norm. 
right. um, hopefully really 10 years from now, but you know, a man can dream too far ahead, right? <laughs> and then the other thing that I, you are the first, Tracy, to get um, a note about this, to be hearing Ooh, about this. So no one, no one except <laughs> for the people that I've involved on the process of it. And I actually would like to personally invite you um, to also be a part of this. I am launching a brand new um, show um, mm -hmm. that's called Unicorn Tartar. Um, it is a, it's very, it's, it's very apropos for what some of the things we're talking about. So I have corralled 20 hot topics in the nonprofit sector. So volunteers aren't free is one of them. Um, the, um, the idea of overhead myth, um, you name it, there's 20 hot button topics and I'm inviting anybody in the nonprofit sector. They don't have to be an SME. They don't have to be a professional and it can be volunteers, staff, consultants. I don't care anyone to come and pick a topic. Um, I have a form that they'll be able to fill out in the future, but right now I'm doing the inaugural season. So there'll be about 15 shows that I will be producing back to back. And then I'll be okay. one to one to one starting in September, releasing them um, okay. every week. And it's a half hour interview format. So it's just me doing a true interview. It's not a conversation like we're having. It's more of me doing a proper interview um, with everyone getting the same questions related to their topic. And it's us, I'm, I'm giving everyone an opportunity to, to unpack how they believe we're, we are and are not effectively dealing with this topic in the sector. And one thing, we're gonna end every single episode of Unicorn Tartar with asking, for me asking the guest, one thing that somebody watching the show could do tomorrow to move the needle. Yeah. Because I think we've gotten really it. good at, where we have gotten any good at talking about the subjects, we've not gotten very good at talking about action steps. And so mm -hmm. I wanna change the notion of how we're talking about it by giving people a chance to really voice their thoughts and feelings, and then requiring everyone with the topic they picked to, to formulate one true turnkey actionable that everyone can do. So if we're talking about equity, if we're talking about diversity, if we're talking about sexism in the sector, and we will be, um, what is the one thing that every person wants to just put on the table? And I feel like, you know, and this isn't gonna be a very special Brady Bunch sort of thing, right? Um, and by that, I mean, I may have 30 people over time that talk about diversity and I welcome it. Um, there may be a topic that only a couple of people ever talk about. It. That's fine. I believe that if you see enough of these and you care about the subject and you finally hear by the fifth person, something that strikes you, that makes you go, I could do that tomorrow. Then my God, we have done our job. Um, so it's part of a new initiative that I'm launching called um, Rhinocorn TV. Um, but ultimately it's the, it's called Unicorn Tartar. It's a brand new show. It'll be out in September. And I'd like you to be a guest as well. And um, oh, be looking, nice. be looking in all sorts of places to be seeing promotion about it in the next couple of months. Awesome. Weeks, awesome. not months, so, weeks. And months. we're on the same page. We're, we are. We're trying to have discussions about nonprofit um, or the nonprofit sector yep. so that we can effect change essentially. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and like get more said, people talking about it. People, yeah, if enough people start hearing you say the same thing over and over, then they'll realize that there is an issue that they need to. Um, yep. Okay, nonprofiteers, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. And remember that there's someone in your community counting on the services that your nonprofit organization offers, and it is your job to make sure that you get it right. Until next time. I'm Tracy V. Allen.